What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another solo episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast. Here on this Tuesday, a day before we kick off the Valley season tomorrow at 7 o'clock in Evansville, Indiana. Purple Aces, we are playing them for a second straight year in Evansville to kick off the Valley year. I'm Nick Malone, usually joined by Noah Lurch. As I said, another solo episode. I will be talking about the Purple Aces at the end of this, previewing that first conference matchup. But I also will be recapping the SoCal Challenge and how we did, along with some other things throughout. Takeaways from all of that, some nice alumni news, some other Valley news in in terms of injuries, and obviously what other Valley teams have done since then. Since we last talked to you guys, it's been over a week, which is crazy when I last came to you guys to preview the SoCal Challenge. It's been a long, what, eight or nine days, and we're back now. It was, it's kind of, I mean, we talked about it, or I talked about it beforehand. Uh, As we know, the games were at midnight both nights, and, you know, obviously our second game was at midnight due to the fact that we lost, but the first game you know, the first game was, what, Monday night at midnight and then Wednesday night at midnight. So that, the Wednesday one was leading up to, th- to Thanksgiving. So you're able to sleep in a little bit and not have to feel it as much. But it was a win to get us to that point and have a nice Thanksgiving holiday weekend, which I hope everybody else did as well. So, yeah, like I said, we'll jump into these games and then we'll, along the way we'll get to the Purple Aces at the end. Uh, I think we'll just do some takeaways of... Uh, these games, definitely the one we lost. And uh, I mean, just we had the same same starting five. Obviously, we still don't have JD or Scotty. And some players didn't play in this game that did in the second game that obviously paid off. And we've been talking endlessly about how we need to get deeper. And that's what we discussed, you know, after the second game in which we won, that we're a better team and we're a deeper team. And I think that's the case in general. We'll talk about the great performance of Marcus Damask in the second game. As well, so let's talk about this UNLV game. Decent matchup for us. We knew we had a chance uh, to win, obviously, in this midnight matchup uh, because I didn't say it on the previous one. UNLV was picked sixth in the Mountain West, uh, so obviously, like middle of the pack, not bad. I mean, as we stand today, I'm pretty sure they're still undefeated. They're not ranked top 25, but they're not. You know, they're doing a pretty good job. Otherwise, I'll check the Kimpom here before long. Uh, but going in this game, I think we were like back-to-back or nose-to-nose in the 90s with this. And we have an updated Kimpom with us as well. Right slap dab, number 100. We'll dive into more of that. But let's dive into this game. I mean, you honestly couldn't have played a better first half than we did, honestly. I mean, just looking at going straight to the stats, and I might, you know, get up a box score potentially. Uh, the stats were hard to come by throughout this, and we know people were talking about over there, I think it was Bucky Dent and some others, talking about how uh, it was hard for the media to get, you know, stat sheets or anything like that, and they said, you know, it wasn't a great show that the tournament put on, honestly. We know there were some good Saluki fans, and, you know, we recall talking about this tournament ever since we knew about it, that they were hyping it up like it was... A special one, and you know the the team had fun. Otherwise, enjoyed the sun over there in Cali. Enjoyed a lot of other things, and but I think it kind of underwhelmed the tournament itself in terms of all those kinds of specifics. Uh, in order to make it, you know, 
better for everybody involved, not just the teams, but the media and the fans and everything. So we know some family members went out, as I said, and had, had, some, had some good fan base, not going to lie. And it was in a small high school gym, I believe. I mean, it's uh, it was a nice gym. The broadcast, we'll get to it. I don't know if, I can't remember if it was this one or the second game where the, the sound went out on the broadcast, but... So it's kind of a weird deal, but again, watching at midnight, you're gonna it's gonna be a weird deal anyway. Ten o'clock. I can imagine playing a ten o'clock game as an athlete back in the day, even in high school. I don't recall ever having anywhere close to that late of a game. You know, you you have the seven o'clock, eight o'clock, maybe, and some tournaments you'll have that, but definitely not ten. So I feel for that for the athletes itself. So I mean, we had a four point lead at half. I mean, it's. You know, and one thing going into this game with the UNLV was they turn teams over. I think it was a crazy stat I saw before the game started that they showed UNLV averaged, you know, their opponents around 25 turnovers a game through their first however many games it was. And that was that's honestly incredible. Um, that's, you know, more than I've ever heard a team do that. And we know we're a great defensive team. We'll get to that over time here. And even where we rank in the country, I'll have some stats where we rank through these amount of games nationally and a lot of stuff. Uh, some of them are interesting, but we know UNLV could do that. And they turned us over 13 times in the first half. But when you turn it over that many times, we shot 63% from the field. Six of 13 from three. We didn't shoot any free throws. And we out-rebounded them by 16. I mean, that's honestly, that is honestly incredible. Uh you know, you would you would think if you turn it over that much, oh, you're definitely losing by whatever. But we were honestly able to hold them. I don't think UNLV was playing relatively all that well, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think you know we got Marcus was our leading score with eight in the first half. I mean, it was. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, UNLV was a one point favorite. We talked about. I talked about what it could have been. I said like a one to three, either which way, or you know, straight up even odds. But they were one point favorites. Uh, you know, I don't have the first half stats on me, but I do know that we were able to hold their guards in check. Gilbert, Parquet, and Harkless were menaces. Definitely Gilbert, Harkless, and Rodriguez. Rodriguez was a heck of a shooter. Harkless shot a lot in this game, and Gilbert was really efficient. And so I, we just talked about Oklahoma State had great guard play. UNLV had awesome guard play as well. So, so those were the stats in the first half. And I recall, you know, just saying again that uh, I think we won like 80% of this game. I mean, honestly, we had a lead. And the other takeaways from this game were the fact that we went cold for so long. If I were to find where we last scored here, I have an idea. Let me look here for a second. Clarence had a layup at the 1148 mark that had us up by two. Uh, and Marcus got going in between. Marcus, 10 minutes, made a layup. So then there's that, and we didn't score again until, let's see, we didn't score again until Marcus had a layup at 2.23. Barely scored, and that was, like I said, one of the biggest things was going cold again. Whenever you had, you know, so much of this game at hand, like I said, I, I would say 80% of this game you won. You're leading at halftime, you're shooting efficiently, you're shooting great from three, you're getting just quality play outside of the turnovers. And, you know, when you go cold, and that's what we knew throughout the season, and it is the case that 
we will struggle to score this year. And it's unfortunate. We thought we'd take a big step forward this year, and it's not the case so far. Not getting a lot of guys scoring in this game. I mean, when you look at it near the end, Xavier Johnson again, 28 minutes, only shot three times. Two of them were from three, not ideal, and no points and four fouls. No assists in this game either. So, like, I don't know what the plus minuses were in this game, but he was he was not good. He had two turnovers as well. Didn't score. I mean, we can't have this from Xavier, honestly. Uh, you know, I remember projecting at the beginning of the season, you know, X biggest X factor on the team, no pun intended. Uh, but I was expecting him to score like six to eight, maybe even close to ten points. And that was hoping that he'd be able to get to the rim. And I think him and Lance have had a little bit of chemistry issues because they're kind of the same player. Lance a lot in this game was dribbling the ball down. Uh, so Xavier, you know, at times hasn't been the true point guard. They kind of had him play off the ball, which I don't think is at his best thing. Uh so, I mean, you can't play 28 minutes and not score and not even do what you're supposed to do, which is assist and get steals or anything. He didn't do any of that. Like I said, had the two turnovers. I think that sticks out most. I mean, you had Trent made a couple threes in this game. Uh, we only went eight men deep, though, and we'll get to the second game. We went a little deeper, and that needs to be the case moving forward. And we were talking after we lost, like, I don't know why we're shrinking our bench so far this year. You know, our eight, eight, seven, eight games in compared to obviously what it could be like at the end of the season in the conference play, which it would make sense at that point. But other than that, I mean, our bench played a lot of minutes outside of Dalton. Dalton didn't even shoot. He had turnover, two turnovers, no points and a foul. Jawan played 25 minutes. Jawan gets nice minutes, and we'll get he had an interview. Him and David Ragland, uh, Evansville's head coach, they talked to them. I'll dive into those near the end. Uh, but Jawan only had five points. I mean, he had them from uh, – he did make a three. Him and Trent at one point in the game made back-to-back, like rim-around threes that helped us. Uh, Clarence was good again in this game, seven and seven with one assist, one of two from the line, three or four shooting, 19 minutes for Clarence. A lot – I mean, if you if you trim your bench, and that's going to be the case, potentially, I said Jawan, 25 minutes. So we shot 63% in the first half, ended up shooting 45% with going cold, 57 from the free throw line. We only shot seven free throws, made four of them. Uh, uh, Troy only shot once. He did make it. It was a three. He had three turnovers, three points, kind of struggled on this one. Marcus, all 40 minutes, and we'll get to the minutes he played in the next game as well. I mean, it's just, I mean, 7 of 13, 4 of 10 from 3, 3 of 5 from the line. Still missing free throws, 6 rebounds, 21 points in this game, 2 personal fouls, 4 turnovers. We know Marcus is also leading us in turnovers, but he's also being really aggressive. 2 steals and 2 blocks. I mean, he's just absolutely doing it all. And then, like I said, I'm not even mentioning the second game yet. Uh, he's playing every second of the game. We mentioned how he might come out for a second, like a minute max in most of these games, but in general... He's just got to sit more, but when you only roll out eight guys, you can't really replace what he's doing on the floor, and especially in a really close game. But I recall when we were up big in the game, let me go back and look what the leads were, what we had, what our lead was in the first half. We were up 14 to 7, we were up 11 to 5. Not saying you take him out necessarily that early, but it also is seven, eight minutes in. Like they need to. And I understand you want to ride or die with your best player, but he's got to sit at times. He just must. He is. He's going to wear down at the end of the year. And if we're relying on him so much to the point, who knows what kind of season we'll end up having. He's going to be worn down, and we're not going to do what we want to do at the end of the year. 
So it's important to get him rest, but, you know, in the middle of close games, I understand it, but near, like, the whatever in the first half, if you're having a decent lead, I would sit him for sure. Uh, so, again, I mean, we lost by seven. Uh, we ended up shooting better than from the three-point three line. What did I mention? We, uh, there was a stat here. We... Yeah, well, 62%, 6 for 13 from 3, as I said. Tale of two halves. Uh, UNLV, 60% from the field in the second half on their attempts, and we just made six field goals in the final 20 minutes. I mean, like I said, you, you go stretches with, you know, not scoring like that. Marcus was our only player in 10 or more points and double figures. They had three. They just had more guys that were willing to make plays. And I remember Harkless, at some point in this game, if he got it near the paint and he kept the ball high, he was scoring floaters every day of the week. Gilbert had constant and ones, getting to the rim with ease. He was struggling. He had some turnovers in this game. And I mentioned Rodriguez was just able to make some threes. Uh, but UNLV was, and they are, we mentioned how we are the best defensive team Tennessee State's going to see this year. UNLV is by far, by far the best defensive team we'll, we'll see the rest of the year, hands down. Force a team that had that many turnovers. I mentioned what we had in the 13 first half turnovers. We ended up with 21. I mean, we, we forced them 14, but I think it was like maybe nine in the first half, if I recall. And so had more assists than them, had two less steals, had more blocks. They didn't even have any blocks. They kind of went small at some points in this game as well. Maybe that's why we trimmed our bench. Uh, their big men weren't like the best, honestly. Uh, they were missing free throws near the end of the game. They kept us in it, but then they just they, then they just went ahead of us. Uh, we out rebounded them still by the end of the game, and they only shot 16 threes. We shot 28 threes, and I had a stat here of what we were shooting from three. Out. This was at one point throughout the game. I think it was near the end, potentially. 39%, obviously, that evening. Here's our last four games from three. Uh, or, our, sorry, our, our total itself up to that point. Little Rock, 43%. Oklahoma State, 29%. Southern Indiana, 17%. Tennessee State, 14%. Didn't think it could get any worse from what the USI game was, but Tennessee State, as we know, was a crazy game. So not shooting it great, obviously. Uh, but did a little better and did great. Like I said, 80% of this game we won. That's why it stinks, again, when you can't close games and you can't score for stretches, you know, and we got to give credit to UNLV's defense, but they gave you chances in this game, 100%. But they had really good guard play that ended up being the difference, and that was the biggest thing. Disappointing that we lost, though, because, like I said, when you win that much of the game, you have to be able to finish the deal, and UNLV did. So they moved on, and... Uh, I don't think I have any quotes necessarily from this game. What Brian had said, it was just obviously you, you uh, the UNLV outscored us 32 to 18 in the paint. So, I mean, a lot of things we did right. It just was going scoreless there for a long stretch of time at the end of the game, screwed us over. Uh, so that is unfortunate. So we played the next night again at midnight. Minnesota barely beat Cal Baptist. It was a crazy game. So we had an inkling that, you know, obviously we know Minnesota is not the best team, but we know, which I'll say now, UNLV ended up smoking Minnesota for the championship for the surfboard title that they got. Uh, but we ended up playing Cal Baptist, which, like I said, is definitely a tough game. And then a tough matchup because I was watching a little bit of that game, and that definitely was the case. Uh, so, I mean, this this was a fun game as well. Like I said, another midnight game, uh, and it was a huge 
performance by Marcus Damask. Uh, I mean, if I had, let me look again. If there were, uh, which I just want to go back to that previous game, UNLV, which I saw the stat and had to add it because it's very interesting. They have an NCAA record, whether they just broke it or they still have it, 1,166 straight game with a three-pointer. That's an NCAA record. That's honestly incredible. I don't know how many years that is. That's at least 30 to 40 years, if I'm not mistaken. You play 30 games a year, whatever that math is. If I can do some quick math, find my calculator on my phone. 1166 divided by 30 is about 38 years worth of basketball. That's honestly incredible. I don't know who they passed. I just saw that stat. Pretty insane. Uh, but again, the biggest takeaway was going you know, a long stretch of the game without scoring. We know that's going to be a factor this season, unfortunately. And it was, a, like I said, it was, a, it was against a team like that that was just amazing defensively. We won't see a team like them again, like I said. So they went on to win the thing. So we knew that we would go on to play Cal Baptist. And I mentioned UNLV picked where they were in the Mountain West. Cal Baptist before him got picked fourth in the WAC. Uh, so, you know, we, we know we had a couple of the, or, you know, they had a couple of players that would give us fits and that's exactly what they did. So in terms of, let's see here what the first half. So we were, we had a seven point lead at half. And if, let me go back and see how that happened, how we ended up escaping. Cause it was only a two point lead. Thankfully Clarence had a leg. Clarence played again really well. I gave us a two point lead, uh, then we got, and then Marcus went down, nailed a three. Clarence had, so it was the Clarence and Marcus show at the end, and then ended up forcing a three from Trey Armstrong, who's a good shooter. End of the half, up by seven. Quality. Uh, so then, I mean, overall, this was just a crazy game. I mean, it was it was a game where, you know, at some at some points the matchups weren't in our favor. It was the same starting lineup again. They had a big old goon that they brought in. To, to start, uh, let's see, Timothy Egohe, can't pronounce it, Seven foot 255, I mentioned him, I think, previously, maybe not, but he had 11 rebounds in this game, and he was a menace, can't lie, uh, Troy struggled to guard him, we talked about at times, you know, where is, you know, Clarence, when you need him at times, but I think the biggest parts of this game, 100%, we only really talk about dogs of the game if we win, um, and 100%, it was seeing Cade come into the game, knowing that we struggled again. And Clarence, I think, was dealing with foul trouble once again. Not too bad, though. But obviously, Troy wasn't getting the job done, you know, in terms of him struggling to guard that center. And he came out at times when he'd come in, you would think, and no one and I were discussing, and it seemed like it made sense that you would, um, you know, bring Clarence in to guard him. And but we saw Cade come in, and honestly, Cade hasn't played a lick of bad basketball. You know, we, we talked about when he played in the Tennessee State game that he and he didn't play in UNLV, so we were kind of skeptical. Like, okay, you know, and Brian ended up saying why Foster and Cade didn't play was because you know the defensive intensity. He didn't want to throw them out there per se, which obviously it could have paid off like it did in this game. So Cade got in, him and Foster got in, and uh, you know, I like I said, Cade. Talks on defense, he rebounds, he boxes out really well. I'd say he gets can get block happy, but I'm all okay with that, 100% with him being a seven-footer. Uh, 
so then he would leave his man, you know, for like then a missed layup or a dish to his his guy per se. But he's just he's honestly a stud. And there was a play he had four points in this game. His second points were huge, but he had a play where Lance got deep into the paint and dished it to him, and he dunked it. And then, I mean, let me let me try to find it here. In the second half, it was a jump shot that he made. Let me look here. He had offensive rebound, missed a layup uh, at some point in this game. Okay, the dunk was in the second half. That's when they. That's when he got in the game. Was in the second half. So. That cut that made it a, a two point or a four point lead after K dunked it, and then an unreal shot, clutch shot. He made like a short corner jump shot when it was tied, two thirty eight left, uh, pass from Dalton to hit Cade in the short corner for a jump. Like honestly, like we knew Cade's probably the best shooting big that we have. Talk about some cojones on him. I mean, he didn't. I don't know what it was in the shot clock. That kid just shot it, and it went in. Amazingly clutch shot for a freshman. I mean, his impact in general, in so many ways, as I've already mentioned, is astronomical and as a seven-footer. And so that gave us a two-point lead, and obviously it was tied up until, and then we got to halftime, uh, or, sorry, overtime. But, you know, throughout this game, also Foster came in, made a couple threes, and you can just tell the sound of the net when Foster nails a three is incredible, and that's what it was. Uh, and P- everyone's talking, and it makes total sense. You have to play these kids. If you deeper, you're better. If you like, obviously, it came down to overtime in this game, and Marcus going nuclear. But if you play deeper, you win. If you don't, if you obviously, like I said, near the end of the season, you can maybe get away with it all depending. You can't do it this early. you got to win these kinds of games. And imagine how great UNLV game would look for us right now. I mean, they're cruising. They're heading into near their conference play. Not sure what they have coming up. That would have been an amazing win. And we talked about it. After beating Oklahoma State, outside of SLU coming up, UNLV and potentially Minnesota, those are by far our best games the rest of the way outside of when we play Drake at conference. Uh so I mentioned all those. Foster made a couple of huge threes, and then overtime came. But what caused overtime was a bad stretch near the end. We were up by three. Clarence made a huge layup uh, that Dalton assisted on again. And then, but it was an AM one, so Clarence couldn't finish the free throw to give us a four-point lead. So they go down, uh, you know, funnel around a little bit, and then Joe Quintana, who barely even played in the second half, I want to say. I remember when he, when he came in, it was like... It was like, what, like, where's he been? And then, of course, he makes a three to force it to overtime. All Clarence had to do is make his free throw. Granted, he's not a good free throw shooter, but that's all it took. There's some other possessions before that also. Uh, I mean, they did not shoot well from the free throw line. That big goon went, uh, uh, let's see, he went one of two. And then, obviously, Clarence's great play, uh, and they couldn't finish. And then they had the three to force it to overtime. And then... Overtime was not in our favor one bit. I mean, it was close and close, and then all of a sudden they go up by three points, uh, or it didn't start our way at all. They went up 61-57, and it came down to a huge three that Marcus made, assisted by Clarence near like the left wing three to cut it to one. And then Marcus dominated again. It was a penetration uh, layup again to give us the lead. And then it was the same score all the way up until 11 seconds left whenever, uh, where is it at here? Trent got a steal here. to It, it says Troy. I want to say it was Trent. Uh, 
but Trent got a steal. I guess Troy tipped it out, and then Trent ended up with it. We called a timeout and then got out of it, and then uh, Marcus made a couple free throws to give us that great three-point lead, and then we were talking beforehand, it's like, we need to foul him. We have, uh, you know, we don't have fouls to get, but we'll send him to the free throw line. That's just smart basketball overall. You wait till the, you wait till they, you know, crazy. Hopefully they don't force up a shot and you foul them, but you get really late, and honestly, it's funny, because this foul with one second left that we forced him to shoot free throws wasn't honestly planned. It just worked out in our favor, luckily, so... We do have to get better at that. You have to be smarter. Oh, no, we Brian's smart. The staff is smart. We would like to think. I don't know how that you got to do that when you're up three. You can't allow a force. You can't force or allow a tie. Excuse me. So you got to just play smart. And obviously we didn't do that, and that was surprising. But like again, got bailed out. Taron Armstrong, who uh, he had a terrible first half against Minnesota. He had like 24 points in the second half and almost beat almost beat them. Didn't have anywhere close to that scoring wise against us, but did have the rough first half. But got, uh, you know came alive in the second, and then he missed a free throw really badly to end it, and then we won, sixty four to sixty one. Again, Marcus with one of the best, and of course I had stats as well. Thinking of preparedness that Mike had of uh, you know ranks all time and certain things, and Marcus's thirty two point effort. Let's see here. Since the since the start of the 0910 season, seven totaled the seven totaled 17 30 point games. Seven players have scored 30 points in a game. Anthony Bean did a lot. Carlton Fay twice to kick off. Jeff Early, Desmar, uh, Anthony Bean did it at least how many is that? Holy goodness, about eight or nine times straight. Like in terms of him being on this list, Armand did against Valpo. Uh, Indiana State at Evansville. We know those great Armand games. Lance at Loyola early last year, and then at Illinois State last season, 31, and then Marcus this game. So some rarefied air. Awesome to see Lance on there. But we know all the players on that list beforehand that wreaked havoc in their time. So let me look here with this overtime win. Uh but we got I mean, we got outscored by seven in the second half, and then only eleven total points scored in overtime. Uh, let's see here, Marcus. So the thirty-two points, seven rebounds, six missed shots, twelve of eighteen, three of four from three. Great three-point shooting for him in this one. Five of six from the line. We missed. You know, we talked about the one missed earlier. He's got to he's got to clean it up. But five of six is good. Forty-four minutes, and honestly, apparently he didn't even play the most. Troy played forty-five minutes. And only had three points. It was on a three. It was honestly a big three uh, later in the game. Trent only played eight minutes, but we mentioned him coming up with that steal at the end of the game. That's what he does. Him and Troy with that. Xavier, again, we talked about his last game. 14 minutes for Xavier. Zero points once again. I mean, it's just, he's, he's I don't think you can, because Dalton, who played 25 minutes, didn't score either. But he had four assists and a steal and a rebound and doing a lot more than X is so it's weird. It's it stinks that you're getting zero point production out of them, both. But I don't think you can make the switch because of that. So it's not like Dalton's being really productive off the bench, and you keep it that way. Obviously, I've I've been all for always. It seems like it makes sense to always make sure your bench is deep, and you don't want to you know put that production into the starting five and then take away. You don't want to even your team out a little bit, so you don't want to have the guys least productive off the bench. So it makes you not as deep. Uh, that's really not the case here. I mean, other stats besides points, like I said, but you keep X in the starting lineup. You just have to, you know, coach 
you know, you know, get him in better situations. And he's honestly just not forcing the issue. He's not forcing the issue offensively. You know, that can be a bad thing, but obviously it can be a good thing. He's got to get to the paint more. I talked about, you know, he had 130 assists last year and scored 200 some points. I mean, it's in there. And obviously it's a way different team and a way different, you know, scheme we're in now, but He's obviously just got to improve and help the cause a little bit. Lance was had one of the worst games of his career in 39 minutes, 1 of 9 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3. I did the math, actually. I texted Noah it. I really wish I could go back and find this. Maybe I can. It's from the other night uh, about what Lance has been shooting in his or the last however many games. I really want to look this up. Hopefully I can find it here that I texted, texted somebody. I obviously had to have been Noah that he has been he's shooting because I did the math and I, I should have had it prepared. I feel like I did this last time. Here he is. Lance is 12 for 43 from the field and three of 24 from three since the Oklahoma State game. So that's 28 percent from the field and 13 percent from three. Honestly, incredible, um, incredibly bad. You can't you can't. You can't be that way, obviously. So he's struggling, my, like I said, probably the worst game of his career. Five points, three or four from the free throw line, that's a good sign. But 39 minutes and shooting as bad as he did. Like said, X only shot twice, Trent three times. Did have a three in this one. Uh, let's see here, Clarence, who had an amazing game again. Ten points, two assists, four rebounds. Only a turnover. Four for four from the field in 20 minutes. Did make a three, and that was... Where at the start of the game, whenever his shot clock was winding down, and he kind of forced a, a wing, left wing three, and made it. Hopefully, I get him going off. You know, in terms of his three point shot, the rest of the way. Here we go, though. Combined twelve minutes of action, Cade and Foster, both two or three from the field. We know Cade had the jump shot and then a dunk, but Foster two threes. I mentioned some of them. Just when you hear the net, you know it's Foster. So ten combined points for those guys, and we win. Like I said, Marcus going nuclear either way. Mikel Baptist was definitely scrappy in this game. Uh, so those two playing, Jawan didn't have the best game. Only had one point from the free throw line, but he did have an assist, five rebounds. Uh, only shot twice in 18 minutes. We need Jawan to obviously do more than that. And he's been relatively good. We'll get to some comments that he made uh, here for his homecoming tomorrow night. Dalton, 25 minutes. I mentioned he didn't score, but he didn't have four assists. Did great uh, other than that. So, I mean, the Marcus-led game. Like I said, 32 points, incredible. Uh, there are people tweeting about his performance, saying, "Remember the name, Marcus. He uh, he was the Valley Player of the Week. He was All Tournament First Team, averaging 26 and a half, six and a half rebounds, three assists, two blocks, two steals in this tournament in those two games. And like I said, he is the uh, Player of the Week in the conference. Uh, so, and this was his career high of 32. So. Uh, never scored 30 before. I, like I said, I figured he would have made this list potentially, but it's not the case. I'll have some more stats, some more Rocco Miller mid-major things and stuff like that. But quick team stats here. Uh, we shot 44%. They shot 38. So our defense was good again. This one, 10 of 16 from the line. Uh, like I said, they were really bad from the free throw line. 7 of 19. If they clean that up, they probably win, no doubt. They out-rebounded us by 13. Not good. Uh, like you said, they have some oh, they had some size to them, uh, but their free throw shooting was the worst part. We had more assists, more steals, they had more blocks, and only 17 combined turnovers in this game. They had more than us, nine to eight. Uh, 
so yeah, I got, you know, it's, I would say it's kind of a home home game for them being in the state that you know they could have brought some fans. I don't recall fully, but uh, quality team, like I said, picked fourth, and we'll see how they finish. We'll always follow these teams as they go on, uh, but a quality game, honestly, and. Both of them should have went two and zero. We should have played Minnesota to see how that went. But going one and one, we'll take it. Could have went zero and two, which would have obviously not been right. We we knew if we played Cal Baptist, it wasn't going to be easy. But we knew we had to win, without a doubt. So, so there's that. After this thing, I think the takeaways mainly was to get deeper, have a deeper bench. Dalton really played. Dalton played really good defense on Taron Armstrong. Marcus mentioned that. Some other players, and I think Brian maybe mentioned his defense on. Uh, on uh, Taron Armstrong, which is by far their best player. They're saying he's going to get NBA looks and stuff. So he, he is a, he is a nice player, but like I said, free throw line shooting was bad for him and, you know, sporadic halves for him once again. So there's that. Uh, before I get in, before I move on, I suppose, which obviously by our record now, four and two, I want to go and talk about what other Valley teams have done here in their respective M- MTEs. I think the last time I talked, like I said, was Sunday on the 20th. Uh, let's see, Illinois State got smoked by LSU. San Fran, you and I had a lead on San Francisco Blue. It lost by six. Indiana State beat Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina's of the American. They're always a team. As a Memphis Tiger fan, East Carolina's always a scrappy team. So that's a nice win for them. Belmont beat Howard. UIC beat Stonehill. And Drake beat Tarleton, which... We I mentioned before when we were when I was talking again Drake ended up beating Wyoming who's a really good mid major as well uh, beat them by five the night prior when I did the last pod and then they beat Tarleton in the jam as well and then Tuesday what uh, Illinois State dropped another one lost by twelve to Western Kentucky you and I lost again by this time by two to Grand Canyon UIC beat Holy Cross Indiana State dropped their first game of the year. And that was to Kansas City, who is honestly scrappy as well. Uh, they had a player drop 22 to beat the Sycamores by two. And then Auburn smoked Bradley by 21. That was honestly expected. I'll get to some Bradley news to who they can have back, which is crazy uh, for these conference games coming up. Uh, Illinois State lost again to Rhode Island. They played it. They've played a lot. Samford beat Valpo by 30. Uh, as we know, let me look at the disparity of halves. 52 to 22 in the first half, and then both scored 27 in the second. Kobe King had 20 on 19 shots. Terrible performance from Valpo overall. But as we know, Sanford's not bad because they have a player we know very well. A.J. Staten McCray played 14 minutes, only had two points. He's had a nice career since he's been there, and he spurned us for them a couple years ago. Uh, so as we know, just thinking of Sanford, we always think of A.J. Staten McCray. Evansville lost by 20 to UCF on that Wednesday. Uh, and then Friday after Thanksgiving, Valpo lost by 11 to South Dakota State. Missouri State, and a lot of fans are frustrated with the way they're playing right now. We know they have some injuries. They're, some fans are not happy with Dana Ford. They lost by 14 to UNC Wilmington uh, in their MTE. And then Evansville lost again by, ele- by 11 to South Alabama. Uh, and then Saturday... Uh, Missouri State lost again by three to Ball State. You and I beat Northern Illinois. Bradley killed Merrimack. Pretty sure that was in Peoria, that game. Uh, yeah, and then 
Drake beat Louisiana by 12. Evansville beat Robert Morris by 1. UIC beat Green Bay. And Murray lost to Chattanooga by 3. We know Chattanooga was a tournament team last year, almost beat Illinois in the tournament. So Murray lost that game, had good performances from Jamari, Rob Perry, and DJ Burns. Uh, and then Sunday, Valpo beat James Madison in overtime, so Valpo got on pack in the win column. Missouri State still on their MTE, beat Oakland by 12, a good bounce back. Indiana State killed Trinity. Belmont beat Georgia State by 2, and Evansville lost again by 7 to Fairfield. Uh, and then obviously before tomorrow's game, let's all dive in more of those. So not a great MTE. Uh, besides Drake, who's still undefeated, they went. They did just fine in theirs. Other than that, we went 1-1. One one. Illinois State struggled mightily. Evansville didn't do great. Missouri State dropped some games. Murray, ever since they beat AM, has dropped some games. So not the best, but wanted to keep you guys updated on those. Uh, now before we move on, I just remember seeing in general uh, some good news about Barrett Benson. Obviously some huge alumni who paved the way in this new era. He signed with a new team. Uh, he became a new player for the PGE I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's, it's overseas in uh, Stargard. Which, where is this? Who posted this? Uh, not sure, but he recently played in Bulgaria, as we know. and But now he's back in this country playing and still playing professionally, which is amazing to see. You know, like I said, Barrett paved the way. It'd be great to have a big like him here uh, in the last couple of years, he's honestly been our best true big. We thinking like obviously Scotty and Cake and warm up to being, and he was only here for a year. I just think Barrett was probably the best big we've had since Kavion, and that was only like four or five years ago. But Barrett was amazing in that first year. So always want to shout out every time we see news of this. So Barrett's getting a new opportunity. Uh, he's been all over the place. It looks like according to his Twitter, professional hooping in all those countries. So we wish Barrett luck. We'll continue to follow him as we see. Well, I think we followed. We'll follow that account I just did to uh, try to get some news as time goes on uh, for Barrett in that sense. So congrats to Barrett on that. Uh, it was Scotty's birthday recently. I guess I can go through some stats here. All-time scoring list now. Marcus is 30th in 79 games. Has 1,179 points. He's right behind Stetson Harrison and like guys like Chris Lowry, Sean O'Brien. I mean, Marcus and... You know, at some point here, at the end of Marcus's career in general, I always want to discuss and talk about what his career could be points-wise. We know he had a great freshman year, which let me go to it, actually. Let me let me go to Marcus's uh, career to this point, and if he didn't get hurt his sophomore year, what he could be at in his career. Uh, let's see. So he's got those 1,179. He scored 434 his freshman year. As we know, he was freshman of the year, newcomer of the year. He was on pace. He averaged, what are his averages? His second year before we got hurt would have been a career, besides right now, career high in points per game, 16. We know we were, we started 7-0 that year. Then he gets hurt after we dropped the next three or at least two. I remember we played Evansville, lost to them at home, and that kind of sparked a little bit of a losing streak. Then he gets hurt, and I remember throughout that year we recalled that we thought he was going to come back. It was, you know, people were talking how he was going to come back, but he never did. Ten games was on pace to have a career year in his second year, and we ended up finishing that as bad as we did. So in 79 games, 31 games last year, 32 his freshman year, and six so far this year. 
I mean, he would easily if he if he played twenty more games that second year with this year and a total of four seasons in a career, he would have at least sixteen hundred points. He would have fifteen hundred points going into this year, counting the six games with twenty five games left in four and four years. And that's not even saying if he takes this COVID year next year, thinking he will. Hopefully, it's here. We've talked about it endlessly. He can he can be up there near the top top three in all time scoring at SIU. Let me look at that list again. We know Charlie Vaughn in 85 games had 2,088. Kent Williams, 2,012. Anthony Bean, 1,900. If Marcus ends up this season, let's say he ends up this season at uh, around 1,500, and he has one more season, he can end up with 18, 1,900 at his peak in his fifth year, which people say, oh, the COVID year and stuff. But it could end up being maybe with 10 extra games, the 10 he played a sophomore year, it could end up, end up being with the fifth year actually four total seasons he can end up scoring 18 1900 points so an all-time career he's really so close to being able to score 2000 i remember talking with other friends you know a while back of that he could be break the all-time scoring record at siu and that was before obviously his injury i think and anything may have been after it's just it's it's incredible and marcus is on his way for sure and lance is right behind him with 1126 obviously marcus's game last night showed that what are some other stats here best three point shooters all time lance is on here a lot we, no marcus but obviously we know lance don't show field goal percentage on here or three point percentage lance isn't going to lance isn't going to be on this uh but he's 10th in attempts per game with about, about four and a half he's seventh all time and field goals three point field goals 144 or two per game and 100 or 144 total, excuse me, in the 12th all time, and made field goals made. So Lance is climbing up the list in that regard. Uh, I think that's it in some things. Like I said, Mike posted these stats. Shout out to him for those. So we had that talked about Barrett. Some quick Valley news before we get into the other matchups this week. Uh, Nate Heisey, we haven't talked about. It. Obviously, I haven't had Noah on here, Noah on here in a little bit, and I don't think I've, because it's been eight or nine days ago, uh, that Nate Heisey hurt his hand in practice, and he's out four to six weeks. So you and I has not been able to have him, unfortunately, uh, which honestly is devastating for a team that already you would think you know would struggle a decent amount. Uh, so. You know, obviously that's big news, some big injury news around the Valley. So like I said, a team that can't afford it either way, one of their best players is out. But those weeks can fly by, as we know, because the other biggest news, and it feels like not too long ago we were talking about Rink Mast's injury. Apparently he is going to return. I was listening to March to the Arch podcast earlier, and they discussed it, and I think it's been discussed around Valley Twitter, obviously. Rink Mast is ready to go, ready to play. And that's honestly amazing for them because they rode the ship at four and three without him. Uh, and it's crazy thinking that it's already been three, four, five weeks since we last saw him do that. It was before the season, obviously, and incredible that it's already to the point where he's playing. So those are the biggest news, I think, injury-wise for sure. There's probably some others around conference. I've already mentioned some before. So let's dive into some of these games the next couple of days and when we can see you guys next, which will probably be Friday to recap this game tomorrow and the preview slew. Uh, so I think the, okay, well, I mentioned Bradley, they host you and I. So the battle of injured players, like I said, rink is back in Peoria against you and I Bradley's five point favorites in that one. That's a really good matchup. Bradley should be able to take care of business at home. 
UIC hosts Missouri State. Missouri State is a four-and-a-half point favorite. These are all 7 o'clock games inside of the last one I'm about to mention. Uh, UIC's 5-2. and two. They've, they've done a good job in winning certain games, whether it's who against Missouri State, like, like I said, has kind of, uh, you know, hubbed around a little bit. They're at 3-3, three and three, but they are favorites on the road. That's a nice matchup, an athletic matchup, which I recall if I wanted to look at uh, Missouri State, Chance Moore still lead them in points. And I mentioned James Graham's finally getting his groove back and playing off of injury. N.J. Benson's played in every game. Uh, Mogbo has played, so he's not really hurt. I mentioned Matthew Lee's after the year. Just I thought there was something else I was trying to think of with Missouri State. 64% chance to win for the Bears. And then the biggest one of the day tomorrow, obviously ours is against Evansville. It's not looked at as much. We'll be looked at as to potentially win. Uh, Drake at Indiana State. Indiana State's undefeated at home. They're six and one overall. Hosting undefeated Drake. Drake is two and a half point favorites on the road. Only a fifty-eight percent probabilities. We know Indiana State. I remember talking about them before. They are going to be sneaky because they're so versatile and they're scoring at will. Honestly, and again, they're playing at home. It's going to be a tough test for Drake. Uh, you know. And talking in general that it's not it wouldn't be the worst game of the because Indiana State's gonna finish top four in the valley this year, top five. Uh yeah, this is an awful loss for Drake on the road and a tough place to play. Uh, but they should obviously be able to uh, get this one out. Tucker's averaging twenty two fifty eight from the field and ninety two from the line. And we know uh McCauley from uh, Indiana State's leading them in scoring with 16. We'll talk about all obviously those two players as time goes on. Incredible matchup there, and then ours, and then tomorrow, and then tomorrow's games, Valley games. Illinois State makes the trip to Murray for Murray State, uh, seven o'clock game on Thursday, and then Valpo at Belmont. So some okay matchups, none better than that. Indiana State and Drake game. I should expect Murray to win at home, and Belmont to win at home. As well, so I remember I just have it on here because at, at some point we we'll end up talking about Kennard and his high school season. They haven't tipped off totally yet. I want to say they did have a game actually, but I wasn't able to find anything about it off their Twitter. I maybe had to look at it. So over time, we'll get some information to see how Kennard continues to you know go about his season and how he does, like we did with Cade last year. If anyone knows, like we do with football, we'll do that with Kennard. Overtime, don't have that on me at the moment. So, like I said, those matchups. So now let's talk about the Evansville Purple Aces. Sixty-seven percent chance for us to win, according to this. It's actually a miracle. I mentioned some of the spreads for the other game. We have one for our game. It is eight and a half in favor of us. Makes sense, but we know this is not the typical Evansville team. Uh, let me click on, uh, as we know, I mean, like I said earlier, we, you know, we play, this is the second straight year we played at them. We know Marcus hit a key turnaround jumper to give us the win in a close game uh, last year. So this will mark the 135th game between the two. We hold a 76-58 and 58 record all time. First meeting came all the way back in 1927. Uh we are 46 and 18 at Bantera, but we are 27 and 38 on the road. 33 and 2 on neutral sites. We won eight of the last 10 between them, and three three straight games we've won on the road against them. So we're riding high. 
they're coming off a couple losses, like I said, but their record is to this point. Uh, it's actually a pretty, like I said, this isn't the same Evansville team. David Raglan has got nice players in here. Totally wiping slate clean besides a couple guys from last year from the Todd Licklider era. Uh, but overall, this is a nice a nice beginning matchup, especially on the road. No one and I will be in attendance for this game. Busy time for us at work. We'll try to make it. Should be able to for a 7 o'clock game. Let's compare the two now. They only score 61 a game. Obviously, we only score 63. Points against, they allow about 69. We allow 59. Field goal percentage, they don't shoot it very well. 37%. We shoot only 42. Both not great. Rebounds are about the same, about 35, 36 apiece. Assists, we average more. Uh, blocks are the exact same. We have more steals per game against them. And getting into a little bit of their personnel, obviously, or what they've done so far this year, they beat Miami of Ohio by four at the start of the year. Then, as we know, they had a lead against SLU at SLU at half. Ended up losing by 18. Lost to SEMO in a close matchup. Lost by six at home against SEMO. And then went at SMU, only lost by eight. Only lost or lost to UCF by 20. Uh, South Alabama lost by 11. Robert Morris won by one. Fairfield lost by seven. So they've been in some of these games, got blown out by some. But again, if you had a lead at St. Louis, granted second game of the year, which we don't we don't know if we'll have a lead against against SLU on Saturday on the road. Uh but, I mean, they fought hard. I mean, SEMO is a nice OVC school as well, uh, you know, so. And then they played SMU hard, which is the American team that's always been good. Not sure how they will be this year. So, back-to-back AAC teams have played SMU and UCF. Played them tough, didn't come out with it. So, they're not, obviously, the worst team. Like I said, they've drastically improved, and they are led by Kenny Strawbridge Jr., we recall. He was a late addition to their team, if we recall. You know, Raglan got hired, you know, months back. I say semi-late in the process, maybe not too late. He's averaging almost 18 a game, 31 minutes a game. So that's the production. Not saying Marcus isn't going to be whatever. Marcus, but 31 for Strawbridge and 18 a game. That's pretty efficient in terms of equaling out the minutes with the production. 42 from the field, 71 from the line, one steal, two assists. Just study. He doesn't really rebound. Let's see his height here. 6'6". So I'm pretty sure that's who they've started recently is Kenny. They've started uh, uh, Yassine Toomey, who's averaging 10 and 6, 6'10", from France, a junior. He's quality. He's going to rebound well, uh, 45% from the field. We know Blaze Beauchamp's one of those few returnees. He's averaging about 10, 21 minutes a game. He's not really passing the ball, so when he's in there, he's ready to shoot because he shoots 34% from the field. Antoine Smith Jr., another one of those returnees, averaging six, can shoot the ball, as we know, uh, averaging six a game, and uh, 36 from three. He's their best three-point shooter in terms of attempts. They So they start Strawbridge, Toomey, Coleman, Coleman the second, which... He came from UNLV, played four seasons at UNLV, and ended up coming here. He leads them in rebounding. 6'3", senior. I remember they were talking on the interview with him. Ronnie was telling him about, or asking him about, like, his bulk. Like, he's kind of a bulky guy. First 6'3", 200. 5 and 7 for him. He starts. And then Preston Phillips, three points a game, eight about 19 minutes a game in every game. Uh, we knew him from last year, only a sophomore. He looks like he's way older, but he's a nice 6'8", 190-pound player off the bench, as we know. Gage Bobe, 
who's a scrappy guy. Like he has been starting for them. So they start Strawbridge, Toomey, Coleman, Phillips, and Bobe. They have a couple guys that come off the bench that don't score a whole lot. So they really they play like about eight or nine guys deep, uh, and they're not awful. They like I said, they score sixty one a game. You know, I think they can surprise some people in general if they're led by a guy who drops eighteen a game through eight games. It's pretty quality. They have decent size to them, and they can shoot. And like I said, they're scrappy, and we haven't had the best luck. We had luck against them there recently, but not in, you know, in the past. So, like I said, just a way different team than they used to be, uh, led by Ragland. Uh, not going to be easy one bit. I don't think there's any other sole stats to take away from this one in terms of, you know, coming up with more of uh, – uh, you know, things to talk about. I mentioned eight and a half. I expect us to cover that. Honestly, we always play close games and you never know, especially if we struggle to score, our defense can carry us in this game. It, that's a push. And Vegas knows what they're talking about with all the analytics. That's a push for sure. I think it'll end up being within a 10 point game. Uh, I mentioned some of the interviews, uh, but I asked Noah for his dog of the game and we both agree. And it may only make sense. Jawan Newton's got to be the dog of the game. It's his homecoming. He mentioned in his interview with Mike about he's excited. He's excited for this game. He says when he when he finally gets in the fourth center, it'll, it'll hit him. He mentioned how Evansville is not a sleeper team. He mentioned, you know, that he's good friends with Gage Bobe. You know, if the team's still on there, that's his boy. He said uh, so. His relationships were still good with some of the players. And Mike, you know, straight up got into it instead of asking him about. The Kentucky upset, if that was the highlight of his Evansville career, and he was a sophomore at the time. We know they were number one in the country. Kentucky wasn't watching. Evansville beat them because that was also the year that Evansville went 0-18 in the conference. Uh, they had guys like DeAndre Williams, who as a Memphis fan, I know him very well, and he's improved so much. He's my age, still playing in college. They had him and stuff. So, And the reason we say that is because that team was led by Walter McCarty, and I mentioned Mike jumped right into it with Juwan talking about uh, what the tra- or the trajectory would have been if McCarty McCarty didn't get in trouble, he you know Juwan just said it's crazy losing a head coach in the middle of the season and you know you know having someone else come up in the ranks which we know that was Licklider, uh, and you know Mike asked Juwan if he stays in touch with McCarty he said no, uh, but overall like that and that team was predicted to be good he said that they were undefeated you know around that time beating Kentucky and then and then obviously getting fired and then their season ended up the way that did so that can be how it goes and Mike went straight into it talking about that uh he said his Evansville time was great he said he grew up as a man and made some great relationships uh, and the biggest things I think the takeaway from the interview was him talking about his current placement on the team he said he's still getting adjusted you know, here he mentioned how getting to know the offense and the playbook has been a struggle for him, but it's been easy meshing with the players. Uh, but he says winning takes care of everything. If, you know, if he's not playing well, which that's what he said, that he hasn't been as aggressive offensively as he wants to be yet still. And I, I'd say we could definitely agree on that. He needs to be at least our third leading scorer, no doubt about it. Uh and then maybe even pushing Lance for scoring. That's the kind of effect Jawan should have on this team and with the impact that he had in his Evansville career. Uh, but I think that's the biggest thing. Him getting to know his place on the offense and the playbook has been a struggle. And he says, he said we should be 6-0 and this year. He mentioned the two losses we have. Should be 6-0. and Can't disagree with him at all. 
but there were some tidbits from that. It's good to hear from Jawan. Like we said, both of us are picking him for dog of the game and his comeback. Got to play well. Only makes sense. And then I mentioned Raglan talked to Rodney Watson, mentioned how it was talking about, you know, his road to getting where he is and, you know, recruiting in Evansville. Talking about Evan, and I lived in Evansville for six months personally, and I know about it. What he's talking about about it. it's a nice sized town. It's growing. It's you can recruit guys to that kind of town. Um, you know, he's we know he's been at Vincent's head coach. He's been he knows the valley well. They were talking about he's been on the Valpo, Indiana State. You know, uh, coaching staffs and everything. So. He's been around, and he was obviously a really good player in his time. He added Marcus Wilson to his staff, who used to cover the Valley, was also a player at Evansville. So they've built a nice staff, and I think over time they'll be pretty good. We mentioned how, but I remember us talking about before, and it looks whatever now, the USI could end up being bigger in Evansville than Evansville themselves, and that seems to be the case. USI's dropped some games to big schools, but once they start getting more games at home, they'll start winning a lot more games, but... Love to see them play, and I don't. I don't believe they do. So, uh, so there's that overall. Like I said, we retweeted those interviews. If you guys want to go check those out, I did mention some other things when we ranked. Let's let's end with this here. Uh, we know Matt Hackman always has the probabilities for them, Missouri for tournament seeding, and he has us our best percentage of final seeding over anybody else, it appears that is, because he has, it's weird because he has Drake at highest percentages for first and second. We are right ahead of Murray, and like I said, behind Drake, and one and two, which is odd, but then third, we're tied with Murray for potential of percentage finished around that. Uh, so obviously we retweeted that, people want to go check this out, I'm not going to dive through all of those, just obviously where we are. Uh Let's in the mid-major top twenty-five be via the College Insider has us at twenty-second, Indiana State at twenty-fourth. Uh, so that's interesting. Always like keeping up with that stuff. That's for the week three. It says mentioned Marcus was the player of the week, and then Rocco Miller mentioned how I just looked back on it recently. You know, before the season he had us picked, and we know we I talked about it recently on uh, what he talked about us in bracketology. Uh, but before the season, he had us as the 12th seed in the NCAA tournament, which is insane, and that would be a dream. Our The only Valley team in there. A dream. You mentioned how we're, we're probably better set up for the tournament than Drake is if Drake wins a regular season, which is all wait and see. He's really high on us, and he has us in the second tier. He has the creme de la cream, the cream of the crop of mid-major. Drake is on there with five other teams, and then he has us 11th with uh, – I don't think there's any other Valley teams on here with us in the second tier, and then likely – to need the automatic bid. Let's see, Murray State's on here. Uh, Bradley's on here. Indiana State and USI's on here. And then Belmont at 58. So some other Valley teams and some other teams we know on here. So we retweeted that. Always the top 60 non-power rankings followed a heavy volume of play nationwide. So always like to follow what Rocco Miller's always had always has. I mentioned Ken Palm earlier. We are we are a hundred on the dot, and as a recall, just looking at the word Drake is is sixty seventh. I mentioned us at one hundred. Those are the top two in the conference. If I scroll a little bit here, Murray State at one fifteen, Bradley at one twenty five, Missouri State at one twenty six, San Loyola at one twenty nine, Belmont at one thirty three, Indiana State at one thirty four, 
and then it goes from there. You and I have 142, so then it goes from there to seeing where other conference teams are. It's pretty low to even fathom or even care about. So there's where we stand at 100 currently. And then I mentioned some some nationwide stats for us. Scoring offense was the first was one of the few things I want to look up. We're tied at 323rd in the country with none other than Loyola for uh, points per game. 63 a game on the dot with Loyola. We know Loyola has struggled this year. We didn't think anybody would struggle a whole lot more than us offensively. 323rd in the country, which is insane. I wanted to mention, go back and find scoring defense, though. So the biggest stats so far of us, so you know, are the biggest things to take away and find. We are tied 28th with Wichita and Boise State with 59 points per game allowed. There's no other Valley team ahead of us. That is what are going to be our bread and butter is relying on a couple guys to score and relying on our defense again. I just wish we would score more. Uh, and there's some other ones if I clicked on to find this, it wouldn't be worth it. We know that we have uh, – I wonder three-point percentage. I wonder where we are on three-point percentage defense. 14th in the country and allowing only 26% shooting from three. So that's good. Then I was going to look up offense. Uh, three-pointers, uh, three-point percentages were probably in the 300s as well with that. So some more stats. We'll, we'll go through that as time goes on more and more. Definitely the Ken Palm rankings and where we are. Didn't find Evansville on there. Like I said, us and Drake, the only top 100 teams. Uh, so that's good. So overall, one-on-one one in the SoCal Challenge. Could have been worse in terms of knowing how the Cal Baptist game could have played out, knowing you should have beat UNLV and took your chances with Minnesota and won that surfboard title. The deeper we are, the better we are. So hopefully Kate and Foster can play tomorrow night. Uh, you know, like I said, Evansville's got some nice size to him. If Clarence, you know, comes off the bench, if Troy continues to start, which I'm sure he will, and then maybe we can see – honestly – it seems like we should see Foster more than Cade. You know, we have Troy and Clarence, and I want Cade to play. But if we're picking one or the other to play offensive wise, need Foster shooting in there. So again, Jawan, dog of the game for both Noah and I. We'll see how that plays out. I mentioned we will. I won't come to you guys again until Friday to recap this game and preview the Slu game. Some tough stretches here. Some games we would like to go to. Three o'clock game on Saturday for Slu will be tough to make. Still gonna try before but this is the first conference game and it's you know people have had their opinions on this and i think it's cool just because it's here and we get a, a quick taste of it before we get into the real play even though once it hits you want to see it constantly you don't want these like these you know three bad games we're having coming up you know don't really want to have those we'll have two conference games before them but you don't want all the mixed matching so i'm about 70 30 on liking it but just the fact that it's here and we get to talk about it is the biggest thing. And it's going to be a fun conference year. That's without a doubt. Hopefully we can obviously have a good one. And it starts in Evansville tomorrow night. Hopefully we can get some maroon in the stands for the Ford Center. Always fun to go to. Make the quick trip. We were just there at USI a couple weeks ago. Hopefully we can have a better result tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. 7 o'clock on ESPN Plus if you can't make it. Like I said, Noah and I will be there with the tweets live and everything leading up to the fact. Follow us at DogsMBB and Dogs Basketball on Twitter to stay updated with everything. So, until we come to you guys again, maybe both of us, maybe just me, who knows, on Friday to recap and preview moving forward. Until then, go Dogs.